0: Good morning, church. I want to do something very deliberate this morning. And that is I, I want to put the worship that we're having right now on pause. And I want to end the service starting picking up from here. I believe God wants to do something. In all of us. When I come on a Sunday morning to this place, I never come to have another service. I don't know if I could, and not that I have to prove it to you, but inside my heart, every time I'm preparing for this day or I'm here, it's not about getting through another service, it's about having an encounter with God and interpreting what the Holy Spirit wants. Interpreting the heart, the feelings, the thoughts of God so that we would be a people constantly dressed in the mind of God and in the attitude of Christ. Prepared, ready, aware, and alert. And too often the church is not prepared and ready, and aware, and alert. I just sense that God wants to minister here this morning. And uh, if you would just stay with me in this atmosphere of worship, let's let God do what he wants to do. I've searched through the Old and New Testament, and I haven't found yet a spot where it tells me exactly how to run a church service. So I guess God left that open to interpretation. How the Spirit moves should be the interpretation. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to take your seats. I know we could take the worship further, but right now we're going to take it further afterwards. Because I believe that God wants to speak His Word into our hearts. Those of you that are in Omega, now would be a good time if you're going out to go out to Omega. We don't have any video announcements today. You do have your newsletter. I would recommend that you have a look at your newsletter. And uh, I'm going to allow the worship team to uh, find their seats. If you're here for the very first time, I do want to welcome you. I want to do this with all genuineness of heart, and yet not break the atmosphere that is building in the house. And so if you are here for the very first time, I'm thrilled that you're here. I hope you're thrilled that you're here. If you're not at the moment, I hope by the end of the service you're thrilled that you're here. But one way or the other, it's great to have you here at Grace and Faith Church. Amen. Why don't, uh, why don't we put our hands together for everyone who might be here for the very first time or second time or third time. It's great to just have you a part of us. <clears throat> I want to go straight into the Word so that we ride right on the back of the worship. And my intellectual brain... Is telling me, Pastor Rob, there's already a lot of people missing because of coronavirus. And just because they're watching on live stream doesn't mean that they will necessarily pay their tithes and offerings. The attendance was down last week. It's down this week. You should make a big thing of the offering. I'd rather make a big thing about what I feel like God is doing at the moment. I do feel that we're going to be around the altar at the end of the service. So my, my brain says, well, how are you going to squeeze in an offering? You could lose quite a bit of finances. I am going to trust the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to trust you to be people of integrity. I hope you give because God always sees, and I hope you give because you want to give, and I hope that when the devil is roaring in your face and you can smell his hot, ugly breath, it only makes you more determined to push in and to spite the enemy, to give even more praise, give even more worship, give even more glory to God, and if need be, even tithe out a greater faith. Can I get an amen from someone? The Lord put on my heart a series called Rend the Heavens. There are three heavens that the Bible talks about. The first heaven is the heaven immediately around you and around this planet. It's what extends into the immediate stratosphere. The second and third heavens are the heavens that God occupies. There's no need for God to rend the second and the third heavens. The heavens that need to be rent are often the heavens that are immediately around us, and the heavens immediately around our community, around our nation, and around this planet. Rend the heavens. We started this series, and the prophet cries out in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This is a cry for revival. In a day... (laughs) I'm going to go there. In a day where churches grow by how short they can make a service, the prophet... The man who has inside information and sees as God sees and hears as God hears and feels what God is feeling. He says, God, what we need is for the heavens to be busted up immediately around our airspace. And we need you to come down because earth earth needs a visitation of the Holy Ghost. If church can grow because we shorten the services... I'm not convinced I want the fruit of that result. That's right. Amen. Okay, there's three of us. The prophet says, run the heavens. What's interesting is another prophet stands up in the Old Testament, and his name is Joel. And Joel, in chapter 2, He says, rend your hearts. And I read that a few weeks ago. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, he says, even now declares the Lord. So the one prophet cries out to God, he says, rend the heavens. God answers later through another prophet, he says, rend your hearts. The Lord says, rend your hearts. Sometimes we want God to do the little that we should do. When we get to the point where we just put everything in God's lap and we want Him to do even the little that we should care enough to do, He's no longer God. We've made ourselves God. And so God answers and He says to humanity, In Joel chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, even now declares the Lord. This is a declaration from heaven. Listen, we got to get inside of God's head. We got to get inside of God's heart. We got to get inside of his spirit. I am convinced that a lot of people don't really understand the ways of God because they don't understand the heart of God and the character of God. And God makes a declaration. If God makes a declaration, it's serious stuff. He says, uh, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your hearts. That word rend, we've already discovered in the Hebrew. Whether it's rend the heavens or in this verse, rend your heart, it speaks of a violent, drastic determination. A little bit the way people are violently, drastically, with great determination, emptying the store shelves of toilet paper. You can be violent and not have a revolt. Why is it the minute in church we talk about being violent, everyone's concerned about are we getting off? a deep end, and they don't understand the type of violence we're talking about. All over America, be it the opportunist who wants to use an epidemic as an opportunity to gouge the public They've gone around the countryside, buying up all the supplies they can, so that they put it on Amazon and then charge you three, four, five times the price. And people who don't have strong faith in God pay the price. And then we need secular institutions to say, you know what, that's not right, that's illegal, and we're going to crack down on that. Isn't it a shame that the heart of humanity can't govern itself and say that's nothing but lustful greed and why prey on the fears of a population? The point is that we're seeing around the world acts of violence, and I don't mean aggression towards each other. We're seeing violent determination. Can we separate the word violence in the kingdom of God from people's heads being chopped off? And understand that when God talks about the kingdom of God suffers violent, he, He's talking about born-again, spirit-filled people wanting God more than they want anything else. Or loving passionately to an unusual standard that goes ten times beyond the loving that an ordinary person would do. That's the violence of God. God answers back. He says, you want me to rend the heavens over your head? You want me to rend the heavens over your city? You want me to rend the heavens over your nation? Here's step one, rend your heart. You see, the first heavens is the airspace, the attitude, the mindset, and the disposition that hovers right over you. And too often times, like I said last week, the airspace over us is full of unforgiveness, anger, jealousy, pride, lust, lying, materialism, worldliness, the minute the things of God are more, the minute the things of the world are more important to you, the minute your job, the minute your 501K, or whatever it is, I, 401K. See, I don't even have one. You think I'm kidding. The minute your income is more important To how much income of God you're getting, you have already become worldly and materialistic. But it's the truth. Am I trying to be the angry prophet? No, I'm trying to be the spirit filled shepherd who's telling his kids what they need to hear so that on that day he'll count every one of them present with the Lord. And when what you're getting in the world and your job and your notoriety and your position and your benefits and your pay becomes more important than getting God, And believe me, God doesn't judge by what you say with your mouth. He judges by how you're living your life. It never ceases to amaze me. I think I could say this without anyone getting offended. We are by far less intelligent than the most supreme being who created heaven and earth. And if you get offended about that, you might as well leave because you're going to get a lot more offended throughout the rest of my sermon. But I think it would be safe to say we are far less intelligent than this amazing God of the universe. And yet, as people who have slightly less intelligence, when a husband only acts nice to his wife because he wants some extra uh, attention and maybe even sexual attention, does she ever notice it and pick it up? Ladies you can you can answer me. <laughs> and when the only time he's warm and affectionate is because he wants to exercise some of his matrimonial privileges it causes resentment. Because it's heavily leaning towards one side. What he wants. I see a few ladies being bold enough to nod their heads. And guys, while we're just a little less intelligent than this amazing creator, don't we notice in a relationship that isn't firing on all 12 cylinders? And I deliberately said 12. Why settle for a V8 when you can have a V12, right? Have you ever noticed that when your wife is warmest or kindest or nicest, it's because she's about to ask you for extra money so she could get another pair of shoes or something like that? You know, that that illustration almost doesn't count anymore because everyone's got their own money, right? But my point is, we know when somebody's sucking up. Listen. Listen. If you've been coming here long enough, you know I'm going to tell it the way it is. Okay? And I'll always tell it the way it is. I'm not going to dress something up. I'm, I'm speaking to your heart. So I'm going to tell it the way it is. We, we have enough intelligence and we get offended when we know or sense that person's only being nice To me, at the moment, they always do this when they're wanting something that suits them. And if God can see that, if if you can see that, you don't think God sees that? who. Who are we fooling? So I can say the right things with my lips, but God goes beyond reading lips. He reads hearts. And you can make all the excuses you want, and I can make all the excuses I want. But the moment we love things in our natural life and we want them and we work for them and we frustrate for them Mm -hmm. more than we violently push in for the things of God, we are already carnal. We are already self centered. And we're already beginning to have gods other than him. And that may not be what you came here to hear. But I never preach a message based on what I think people want to hear. Right. Each one of us, why does he say rend your heart? Because we have to look inside our hearts. We, we live fooling people all the time. Even if it's just, you know, we put on makeup to look better, or at least in our perception. Uh, we, 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 We dress to look better. We wear certain name brands because of the perception we want to purvey. And so much of what we do is so that how we're seen Why isn't it that we're equally as concerned with how God sees what's really inside our heart? You see, step one to rending the heavens, step one to creating an atmosphere of revival, was repentance. And it is repentance. And it's a lifestyle of repentance. Bringing my heart back in line with God's heart and his attitudes. And the second thing, and I I mentioned this last week when I talked about crispy duck. How many of you have been thinking about crispy duck throughout the week? (laughs) Only a couple of you? (laughs) I've I've heard so many conversations about crispy duck since I preached last week. But I started talking about your plate will only be filled with what you have a hunger for. And you won't pay the price for crispy duck if you don't have an equal desire for crispy duck. You'll settle for something cheaper on the menu. And when crispy duck is the most expensive thing on the menu, but you really want crispy duck, you'll say, the heck with the money. It's only money. I can't taste money in my wallet. I want to taste it in my belly. So it might be more money. I'm going to buy me some Crispy Duck because I'm in the mood for Crispy Duck. Wouldn't it be great if the same way we do that about the cars we buy, oh, I really like that car. I'd love to have a a Tesla ludicrous model. Zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. Oh. Wouldn't it be awesome if God looked over the face of the earth and he saw human beings drooling at the mouth for his presence? Here, let's not talk about world population. Wouldn't it be an incredible change to our Father if he looked at his churches around the world? And saw his kids drooling at the mouth for his presence. We almost, to have church growth, we almost have to make an excuse for passion. And we have to make sure that we abbreviate our passion to convenience so that people will participate. And I I apologize for one thing. I apologize I will not offend my father in that way. Amen. I would rather offend people than offend him. <laughs> See what we're trying to do is change a mindset, change your cultural attitude, change hearts. When John the Baptist came preaching repentance, what he was doing was attacking the mindsets of the status quo. He was attacking the mindsets of the religious. He was attacking the mindset of the indifference. And there was a national revival and people everywhere started a flock to John to get baptized and to repent of their sins. His reputation became so powerful that one time as Jesus is talking to the crowds and the Pharisees are there weighing every word he says to see if they could trap him up, using the popularity of John the Baptist, he says to the Pharisees, so was John sent by God or not? And the Bible says he said this knowing that if they didn't say he was sent from God, the people who knew he was a prophet would be upset with them. You have to understand that while John the Baptist just plays a very small role on the pages of our gospel, he had an incredible effect on the landscape of Israel at the coming of Jesus Christ. He was changing the heavens over people's heads. He was changing the atmosphere around their hearts. And yes, I could make church 60 minutes and not be overly concerned about changing the atmosphere around people's hearts and the thought life over their head and not be overly concerned if demons are finding that the airspace here is a comfortable place to sit. But I've got news for you. We are living in a world that is desperately lost desperately confused desperately fearful and the only hope for this world is not the leaders of governments or the governments of the world or the United Nations itself the only hope for this world is if the church of Jesus Christ gets right with Jesus Christ and gets full of the Holy Ghost and puts a match at their feet And burns for God. We need revival. And just saying that is almost a slap in the face because the only thing that needs to be revived is the thing that's half dead. We shouldn't be half dead. We should be so full of the Holy Ghost and so full of faith that coronavirus won't intimidate any of us. Hunger. What are you hungry for? Because that's what will be in the atmosphere around you. And if you're more concerned about your vacation time, and you're more concerned about your job, and you're more concerned about surfing, and you're more concerned about building a business, let me tell you something, God's not an idiot. If we as mere human beings know when somebody is, their relationship with us is very one-sided, do you honestly think that God is less capable of recognizing that? In Joel chapter 2, in Joel chapter 2, I read to you from verse 12 to 13 that the prophet says, rend your hearts. God says, in fact, he says, God declares, rend your hearts. You know what's really cool about Joel chapter 2? After they, he says that, God says that. Then comes the great promise of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the last days. Church, look at me. I don't want to go through life having church. I want to go through life having one wave of the move of God's Holy Spirit on top of another and on top of another and on top of another. If your idea of Christianity is having your butt cushioned once a week on a Sunday, then we've really lost it. My idea of Christianity is getting sharpened up here and leaving this place and being so full of Jesus that he's on our mouth, he's in our conversation, and so full of the Holy Ghost that people around us start to catch it. And so, Joel, on behalf of God, says this is what God declares. Rend your heart. But then look at what the results are in the same chapter. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 31. And afterward, after what? After you rend your hearts, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions in the Holy Ghost. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I'm sorry, that looks a little bit different than just going to church. You see, what I'm saying is, I'm getting hungry. Yeah. And even my homemade lasagna isn't hitting the spot anymore. I'm getting hungry, and it's not for crispy duck. You see, I, every once in a while, I need a little bit of time out. And one of the ways that I eat disconnect from all the things that are often on my shoulder church wise and the cares and concerns of people. One of the ways that sometimes I disconnect, I'll watch a movie. And I'm watching this movie about <clears throat> this dad whose his marriage is falling apart and he's alcoholic. And you don't find out till halfway through the movie him and his wife are separated. And you see him at times, you know, just, he's a mess. He's lost the plot. But halfway through the story, you find out that the reason why he's an alcoholic is because of the pain in his heart. Because a little 10-year-old boy. See, this isn't even a real story. And I'm going to start to cry because it's a story that is... it is a story that typifies millions of people around the world. And so it may not be a true story, but it's true of life. And it moves me. And so instead of getting caught up in the story of the story, uh, this guy and his wife, they lost their 10-year-old child, their 10-year-old boy, to cancer. And they got to meet other people whose kids were also having cancer at the same time. And they go to a birthday party, the one kid who survived, and they're dealing with the grief, the resentment, the anger, and yet want to be happy for the other boy. And then a short time later, the other boy passes away. and The memory of all the pain comes back to this alcoholic dad who's already lost his marriage doesn't know how to survive in the world he was in. The world where his son died and other kids are dying. And I gotta tell you, I I took time out to distract myself, to entertain myself. And I sat in the parking lot in the car just weeping god i need more of you i want so much of your holy spirit so that we could go up to kids like this and just hug them and weep over them and in the morning they'll wake up and their cancer is gone Amen. see i'm getting so hungry that even my timeout isn't letting me have timeout And everything I see and everything I hear is being interpreted by people's needs and God's desire to reach those needs. Mm. Why do we settle on just having church when we can have more of the Holy Spirit? I've never liked religion for what religion does but I love Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And I, for one, as much as I've seen blind eyes open when I've prayed for people and I've watched deaf ears open and I've prayed over one or two folk that were dead and seen the power of God raise them, I'm going to tell you, I am not satisfied. And I want more of the Holy Ghost. I want more of Jesus. I want more of the power of God. I've seen people's lives restored, their emotions healed. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen people get converted and radically changed. I am not satisfied. I'm asking God, how can I get more of your Holy Spirit? What do I have to do to be more faithful? filled with faith, with tenacity, with anointing, so that, you know, we're all seeing the effects of an outbreak. Someone only has to be in the airspace And they can catch the germs of that virus and not even know it. And three days later, they're in another crowd and people are catching what they got that they don't even know they got. And before you know it, you got this outbreak. How about us having outbreaks of the Holy Ghost? How about we get so full of God that we walk amongst the land of the living and unsaved people are having an encounter with God because so much of the Holy Ghost is jumping off of our lives. You could say, well, okay, I've never seen that. That's the whole problem. That's the whole problem. Because in the Bible that you and I say we stand on, Peter walked down the streets and people were lined up just so that the shadow of him would fall on them. In other words, you only have to get close enough to me that your shadow's there and there'll be an outbreak of the anointing of God that's on you. Come on, I want it. Now, then between church and church, we got to argue as to whether or not the apostolic age has come to an end and whether or not these miraculous things are meant to follow ordinary people. Hang on. I just read to you what Joel said in chapter 2. Right. On the day of Pentecost, people are talking in tongues They're probably rolling on the floor, and I say that only because those that are looking are laughing, and they're saying they're drunk. Everybody listen to me, and if you're watching by live stream, listen to me. And before you get offended, hear the word of the Lord. We are so worried about what the world is going to think of us and say about us, That God reads our heart and he makes sure that we are never so full of the Holy Ghost lest somebody in the world gets offended. According to your faith, Jesus said it over and over again. Well, you see, that's the principle of God. He does give you free will. And according to the barometer of your heart, and if you're more concerned about what people in the world are going to think, he sees the barometer, and he'll make sure that you'll never offend the people that are more important to you than he is. Oh, wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Come on. I'm here. Don't worry about what's going on. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. Amen. You see, we need outbreaks in the Holy Ghost. We need to be so full of God. Instead, we are so full of preoccupation as how to, we, we are going to look to the eyes of the unsaved and how we're going to explain it. Did it ever stop? Did you ever stop to think, God could have very nicely and politely sent the Holy Ghost the first day that 500 people were there, and inside of 60 minutes, give them the Holy Ghost. Why did he wait till the numbers were whittled down to 120? Gideon had how many thousands of men ready to come out to war, and God whittles it down to 300, because he only wanted the hungriest. See, God's always watching the barometer over our head. He'll give you what your barometer really says you want. I want outbreaks of the Holy Ghost. I want you and me. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be invited to a hundred different churches and travel the world and be known as a great evangelist. I don't care if I'm hidden in the back. I just want to know that in my Father's eyes, I help create a move of the Spirit that calls countless millions to be touched of God. I say, Pastor, why are you preaching like this? Because I don't want you to be satisfied. As good as this church is, I think it's a good church. We see miracles. We see healings. We see salvations. We take up money for people whose home was burnt down or somebody who, you know, had a bereavement or people that were living on the street. We do those things. Guess what? I'm still not satisfied. I want more of the Holy Ghost. I want more of Jesus. I want an outpouring that is so thick that literally we get the reputation that people are willing to line up around the edge of the street because as the Christians drive in on the property, we get healed. Again, you could say, well, I never heard of that. That's the problem. It's not like it wasn't in the Bible. It is in the Bible. And so Joel says says this is what will happen. The church will be so full of the Holy Ghost, young men instead of struggling with lustful thoughts, they'll be having visions in the Holy Ghost. Well, that looks like a different church. And young ladies instead of being worried about what their hair looks like and what what latest uh, fashion or design they could be carrying on their bodies so that your attention is drawn more to them, we'll start prophesying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And old men, instead of going to bed and just snoring all night and keeping their wives awake, they'll have dreams filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I I, want to bring this church to a place where young men are having Holy Ghost visions and young girls are prophesying in the Spirit. And the elderly are having Holy Ghost dreams and visitations of God. I want us to hunger for more because when we hunger for more, the heavens over our head starts to crack. And instead of being the heavens of mediocrity, complacency, criticism, and gee, you know, why did he say that? I'm offended at the pastor. Let me go on Facebook and tell everybody how I'm offended at the pastor or whatever. I'm offended at this politician. I'm offended at the president. I'm offended... Why don't we start breaking up what's in our heart because it'll break up what's around us. And when it breaks what's around us, we actually allow the space between us and God to be opened so that we can have visitations of the Holy Spirit. Did I offend you yet? Good. Deep down in my heart, that's what I figured that I wouldn't offend you because you keep coming back. You see, I'm hungry for more. No, please hear me. To me, church growth isn't the same as a move of the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. Amen. Now, if church growth ha- happens as a result of a move of the Holy Ghost, not a problem. But if I got to move things around and shake things around and make to bring things to a common denominator so a larger percentage of people will be happy to be here, I'm not playing to the crowds. I've decided a long time ago, look for the truth. And if it's only you and the truth, stand with it because that's where God will be. And I want to be where God is. You see, I won't be offended if you're wanting more. I won't be offended. I won't take it personal. If you say to me, Pastor, can we have more prayer meetings? I won't be offended. If you say, Pastor, I'm fasting and praying so that you preach better, I won't be offended. If you say to me, Pastor, I'm, I'm praying and fasting so that I live more for Jesus, I really won't be offended. Here. (laughs) My question is, have you got oil? Because Peter said in Acts chapter 2, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And God said he's going to do this in the last days. And if 2,000 years ago that was part of the last days, I think 2,000 years later we have even closer to the last days. And by the way, If you really study Scripture, both in Joel's prophecy, go back to the Hebrew. And what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, last days actually means the last age. And if you look at Joel chapter 2 and if you look at Acts chapter 2, you know he's talking about age or time period or dispensation because he says before the coming of the Lord. So he's talking about an age, a dispensation, a time period allotted before the next time period steps in. Okay, And so in Joel chapter 2, he says, um, The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and and dreadful day of the Lord. It's called the day of the Lord. It's, It's called the day of wrath and the gentile nations will gather around the the valley of Megiddo for the greatest world war that will ever go down in history and by the way it's a fact that the valley of Megiddo where the Bible says the the battle of Armageddon will be fought is large enough to contain three million troops It's going to happen. Peter refers to it. He says, these are the last days. And in Acts chapter 2, he says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Well, hang on. Joel says the terrible day of the Lord and Peter says the glorious day. That's right. Because to those who who are not born again, spirit-filled, and walking with God, it will be a day of judgment. The nations of the earth, the Gentile world, will come under severe judgment. But to those who are the church, it will be the glorious day of the Lord. Jesus said, I will return in my Father's glory. So to some, it will be a dreadful day that begins judgment, and to others, it's the beginning of the rapture. And the church is caught up with him, and we war with him against the enemies of Israel. So this is talking about a dispensation, a time period. People say, oh yeah, well for 2,000 years the Bible says these are the last days. These are long last days. No, this is the last age Before the next coming of Christ, which then will quickly introduce the next age, which is called the millennial age. People don't study the word enough and go deep enough to understand what it's saying. So the point is that from the day of Pentecost, when Peter said, here it is, to the day that Jesus comes back again. The church was meant to be living in a state of praying in tongues, healing the sick, having visions, having dreams, young people prophesying in the Holy Ghost. And some well-meaning preachers will try to tell you that's not for today. No, what they're preaching isn't for today. Because right now, until we meet him face-to-face We know in part, therefore we need the gifts of the Holy Ghost to do its part. Can I get an agreement? So here's the bottom line. Jesus gives a parable. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You all know this is about the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? Okay. Ten virgins. I know I only have five fingers up. <laughs> ten virgins go out to meet the bridegroom. They all go out to meet the bridegroom. Not everyone's going to go out to meet the bridegroom. But ten are considered maidens to be married to the bridegroom. Ten go out to meet him. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but didn't take any extra oil with them. The Holy Spirit is oil. He'll burn like a fire. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom took a long time in coming, and they became drowsy and fell asleep. Hello? Jesus is foretelling this. Hello? Are you falling asleep? Are you getting bored? Are you getting drowsy? And I don't mean just right now. Some of you might be getting that way right now. When's he going to end? But he's talking about the church. The bridegroom took a long time in coming. And some of them got drowsy. They got despondent. Oh, this is boring. Hey, let's plan some more holidays. Hey, let's see if I can get the next pay rise. Hey, let's see if we could build a few more houses. Hey, let's have more fun. Oh, I'm tired on Sunday to go to church. That's all right. I'm living under grace. Listen to me. Don't you dare let the devil fool you so that you're always living right on the outer edge where God constantly has to show you grace. I want to walk away from the outer edge where I need the grace of God and I want to crawl right up into his lap in the center of his throne. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? Ten went out. Five didn't have extra oil. Five were so hungry to meet the bridegroom, they had extra oil. You know what's interesting? This passage I just read to you, it starts with, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. At that time. At what time? Our Bibles are divided up into chapters. They weren't written in chapters. Go back to chapter 24. All of chapter 24, it all follows. The disciples are saying to Jesus, when are you coming back? The story of the virgins and the bridegroom coming and taking a long time is a follow-on. It's all about when he's coming back. And when you read chapter 24, he starts giving all the warnings of what's going to happen before he comes back. Can I have Matthew 24, verse 7 to 13? I know it's not in my notes, Matt, but you're a wizard. No, you're not. You're a son of God. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7 to 13. Do you know Jesus prophesied? Yeah. Do you know that right after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, before he takes the road into Jerusalem, he weeps? And he says, Oh Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, if you only had to recognize the coming of your God. What are you talking about, Jesus? The people are in the streets with palm leaves. Palm Sunday, palm leaves. You notice it's seven days later we're celebrating the death and the resurrection. Jesus rides into Jerusalem seven days before. We call it Palm Sunday because they're waving palm leaves. Hosanna, Hosanna, the king, the son of David. Yay! And Jesus sits on his donkey and he's weeping. And he says, oh, Jerusalem... See, he knew that in the midst of their cheering right now, he was popular seven days later, he'd be on the cross. And he's weeping. And he's saying, if only you recognized the coming of your God. See, here's the problem. Jesus often said to the Pharisees, you could tell what the season, what the weather, what the climate's going to be like tomorrow, and you know when to plant your vineyards, and you know when to prune them, and you know when to plant your tomatoes, but you stink at telling the seasons of the Spirit. And if that wasn't an important issue, then Jesus wouldn't made an, an issue of it. He doesn't go around offending people for the sake of offending people. My point is, the church today stinks at recognizing the seasons. So after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he just cried and he wept because they didn't really recognize. Seven days later, he's on the cross. But if you follow through in that chapter, and I think it's around chapter 22, he walks up to a fig tree, and he, it wasn't even season for figs, and he cursed it because it had no fruit. If you study the fig tree from Genesis all the way through to the Old Testament, every time Israel's being blessed prophetically, the word of God says your vineyards will be full and your fig trees will be full of fruit. And every time a curse comes on Israel as a nation, he says the vine will have no fruit and the figs will be withered. Jesus goes up to the fig tree and he curses it because it didn't bear fruit. If you read that story in the book of Mark, it wasn't even the season for figs. So what was Jesus? Some little kid having a temper tantrum because he wanted a fig and there wasn't a fig and so he just decided to curse it? No, this is symbolic of the nation of Israel and it wasn't producing the fruit in the spirit of recognizing the coming of their God. Isaiah chapter 35, your God will come. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will see and the ears will hear and the lame will walk. They didn't recognize it. He curses the fig trees. Of course, the disciples, they miss it. They're just amazed that three days later, it's dead, it's dead. And the conversation goes on to faith and moving mountains. But the symbolism, the prophetic symbolism, was about the fact he's talking to Israel. He just wept, riding into Jerusalem. He's weeping that they're not producing the fruit. Jesus, in Matthew 24, they're asking him for signs. He says, I'm going to tell you right now. It won't be long. Not one stone will be left upon another in this temple. Do you know that the temple that Herod built covered 40 acres Forty acres. The outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies covered 40 acres. It was glorious. It was stupendous. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left. In fact, you will be displaced. He said that 33 years. He's 33 years old. By the year 70 A.D., Israel as a nation ceased to exist the temple was pulled down, every stone, everything in that city and nation was raised to the ground by the Romans. Jesus' prophecy came to pass. And let's have it. Matthew 24 verse 7 to 13. do we have it? Is the projector working? OK? I thought I gave you, I did all that extra talking. (laughs) But it was good, wasn't it? Are you learning something? So Jesus says, this is how it will be in those days. He said, the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In Hebrew idiom, what it means is, it's, it's like saying there will be world wars. In Hebrew idiom, in their understanding and the expressions that were common in those days, Jesus was saying the equivalent, there will be world wars. But the end isn't yet. We've had World War I. We've had World War II. World War Three is waiting to happen. And Jesus goes on and he talks about some of the things that will take place in that day. And you know what he says? There'll be a great falling away. But those who stay true to the end, they will be saved. Here's the whole point. He says that, and then he starts talking about there's 10 virgins. Five won't be hungry enough to bother having extra oil. Five. Even though the bridegroom took a long time, we'll have extra oil. You see, you look around America today. I could have titled this sermon, Have You Got Toilet Paper? Because the shelves are empty, and everybody's making sure they got toilet paper. You can't find it anywhere. I could probably sell this on eBay for $5. I won't. The world has gone nuts. I have never seen anything like this before. So what's going to happen... When what John the Apostle saw in the book of Revelations, he says, I saw something that looked like a mountain on fire falling from the heavens and it fell into the water and turned the water red and it killed one third of all the sea life. John had no idea of what a comet looked like. They didn't have the internet then. They didn't have telephone. They didn't have news services. They didn't have TV. What's the likelihood of one man seeing a comet fall from the heavens? He described it the best way he could. I saw what looked like a mountain falling out of the heavens. It was on fire. It fell into the ocean. It destroyed one-third of the ships, and one-third of all the animal life in the ocean was killed. And then I saw what looked like a hailstorm, hail falling from heaven, but it was on fire. A meteor shower. What's the likelihood of one man before there's TV, before there's internet, before there's telephone, before there's news stations, seeing a meteor and seeing a meteor shower? What's the likelihood of John saying, and the whole earth will have earthquakes and islands will disappear? That's a tsunami. He saw all of this in the Spirit. The sad thing is the church today is seeing very little in the Spirit. And yet, this is the dispensation before Jesus comes, where we should be talking in tongues, healing the sick, raising the dead, prophesying, having visions, and having supernatural encounters. And sometimes we're more concerned about whether or not our kids get to the hockey game or to the soccer game or whether they get to gymnastics or they get to this or they get their college degree. I want to tell you, Mom, I want to tell you, Dad, you need to be more concerned Concerned that your kids get the Holy Ghost. Yeah. If they're going crazy like this over coronavirus, no wonder the Bible says that in those days people's hearts will fail for fear. If you ever doubted the Word of God, you make an appointment. Come sit with me and let me take you through prophecy. Because Nostradamus doesn't come close, not even in the same lifespan of truth as the veracity and the accuracy and the clarity of the Word of God. Don't let people out there boo you and shame you into uh, being afraid of what you believe prophetic word in the scriptures is amazingly detailed and accurate. And everything that book says is coming to pass. What does that mean? We need to start rending the heavens and crying out to God because I love the people in the world and this this place needs help. And honestly, it's not going to come from the governments of nations. And it's not going to come from the leaders of the world. It can only come through the church. We love saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If you really believe it, then it's time for you and me to start bending our knees and breaking our hearts to get full of the Holy Ghost so that we can push the gates of hell back and see a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Come on, let's stand. Musicians, worshipers, will you come? I know, we gotta take the offering. I know. can I have my ushers come quickly we're going to start singing this song if you want to come out the front before the offering gets to you just find the person with a bucket throw your offering in there and come out the front if you want to wait till the offering gets to you that's fine hear me church what's what's the goal of what I'm trying to preach to stir and prick our consciences so that we become even more hungry for God. I get a lot of compliments about this church. And I thank you for that. But you know what? If those compliments are going to sidetrack us from pushing into God even more, then don't give me any compliments. I would rather we get more hungry for God. I would rather that our hearts break at the pain that fellow human beings are living in. I would rather you come here weeping because you want to be a part of a great move of God so that the lost will see Him because they're not going to see Him on Channel 9 News and they're not going to get the answer from a Democratic president or a Republican president. You and I, truth be told, the responsibility's on us. And your sons and daughters, I'm going to tell you honestly, the only real hot chance they have of making it is if they get full of the things of God. And the best way to make sure they get full of the things of God is for you as their father. I'm talking to the men first. You as their father. You as their mothers get full of the things of God. I don't know how to flick the switch in each person's heart. All I know is something's happening in me and I cry more easily, I weep more often and I'm hungry for more. We need God, I need God, you need God. Our cities, our nation, our world needs God. here I'm going to tell you something that might sound really strange God needs his church so are we going to be part of the five virgins that didn't have enough oil to light their own lamp or are we going to be part of the five virgins that had enough oil to keep lighting lamp after lamp after lamp after lamp where are my ushers? ushers start moving yeah Start moving. We're going to sing. The title of this message is Have You Got Oil? We already know how crazy America goes to have toilet paper. I wish, I wish, I am looking forward to the day where the same way they will ransack a supermarket to have excess groceries and excess toilet paper and excess. Germex or Perel, that the world, because the church should already be doing it, the world will ransack yes. the churches yes. to get more of God. And by the way, if you're worried about coming out the front because of coronavirus, you're safe. Look, you're safe. And I got a bottle of Perel, you're safe. You're covered. As for me, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus.